Greetings, downhillers, free riders, dirt jumpers, slope stylers, and other progressive riders. It's episode number six of the MTB Jumper podcast, where I feature conversations with extraordinary riders, coaches, and industry leaders. We talk about skill development, bikes and gear, digging and building, strength and fitness, and much, much more. I'm your host, Norman Peterson. Thanks for tuning in. Back in 2005, I was up at Philip Arnold Park in Renton, Washington. That's where the Worm and Berm Sled are located. Some great trails you've heard mentioned on this show. Anyway, a few weeks prior, I'd broken three bones in my right hand. So I was at the park to practice my skinnies in a low-consequence environment, specifically the cement lot curbs at that park. They're the old style, about 8 inches wide, totally flat on top, and they stretch for about 60 yards, so they're perfect for skinny practice. At some point, A.J. Johnson rides up on a cross-country hardtail. He was there to ride the worm on a break from work. When I told him what I was doing, he said, Cool. Rode over, hopped up on the curb, pulled a wheelie, and rode down the curb at walking pace on one wheel. Of course, I'd known shop owners and employees who ride, but I have so much respect for people who ride at high levels that this totally changed my perspective not only on A.J., but the Go Huck Yourself bike shop as well. I think you'll find this episode perspective changing. Please enjoy my conversation with AJ Johnson Our of GHY bikes. bikes. And I played soccer at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, building jumps in front of the house was something that we all did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you started with a single two by four and a little piece of plywood and grew from there until you had big jumps that you're jumping full sheets of plywood like evil Knievel. Mm-hmm. And even though evil Knievel wasn't my generation, it definitely affected the eighties. Uh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. It spilled over. Definitely. And then, cause all the, like all the moto guys in that, in that era were that was, they were springboarding from the evil Knievel era. Yes. It was mm-hmm. all flat jumps. And then, whoa, we found radiuses. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who doesn't know who Evil Knievel was, if you want to watch videos of a guy riding a street bike, a, a Harley Davidson, barely modified, jumping buses lined up end to end while sitting down, <laughs> yes. YouTube Evil Knievel. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know Evil <laughs> Knievel, then I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you got to check it out. In fact, I'll put something in the show notes about Evil Knievel. But moving on, um, y- you, d- when did you when did you get your first legitimate BMX bike? I think my first legitimate BMX bike was a Cycle Pro Macho. Okay. At what age? I believe I was seven. Jeez. Or seven, eight, or nine, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. um, where I got the first bike that was cool. Gotcha. It weighed a million pounds. <laughs> the first real bike was a GHP, Greg Hill Production, that was a race bike. In between there, I had a Mongoose and raced that heavy bike. Until got a few wins, moved up to the next class, then was getting beat because of the bike. So, mm-hmm. hence the nice bike. Gotcha. Then, sure. How, how did you How did you uh, manage to get your hands on that nice on that nice bike? As far as as um, far as the cash and whatnot, worked uh, worked on my grades. Oh, okay. That was the segue. Nice. So school had to be top and first, uh-huh. and then the sports would be supported. Awesome. So school was my job, according to my parents, and the sports were the other part. Very cool. <clears throat> that is a brilliant way to parent. Yes. It worked for you anyway. Definitely. Yeah. And then about, so I was doing competitive soccer from 8 till 12. Uh-huh. And, you know, top level soccer, whatever. Then at 12 or 13... The parents gave me a decision of bikes or soccer, and I chose soccer. So bikes were put on the back burner for a while. Mm-hmm. Did you keep riding with friends and stuff around the neighborhoods? And Yeah. Yeah. I just, I wasn't in, able to race. You're in Renton at this time. Yes. Whole life. Okay. Whole life in Renton. Renton, Washington. Yep. Okay. Cool. So, uh, okay. So the racing went, went to the back burner and you, you chose soccer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, do you remember what your thinking was at the time? Um, I was able to travel more with soccer. Yeah. So we were traveling a lot more going to tournaments and at that point we had flown, you know, done regionals and stuff like that where we were able to go to Arizona and 
you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico and stuff like that. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, but, but it's at some point you, I mean, I've seen you ride. So, so when do you get serious about, about building those skills and, uh, so really I put it on the back burner and rode a little bit till I was maybe 16 and got a car and forgot about bikes just like everyone else. Uh-huh. Um, went to college at 18 and then did not get back onto the bike seriously until probably 22, 23, but it was different because it was cross country bikes and we, I was still trying to jump. Gotcha. I never really liked to pedal and I still don't really like to pedal. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a means to an end for me. Yeah. I enjoy it, but it's it's just to get to the top so I can go jump. Yeah, and then and then build up speed so that you can hit the jump. This is a theme, by the way. Yes. With people that I that I talk to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Some people like climbing. I just I just don't I, I I tortured myself playing soccer from you know, until 18 when I broke my ankle with a forklift and... Oh, geez. Yeah. So that was, that was done. Mm, that was the end of the soccer career. Yeah. And you were playing in college. Uh, I went to college to try out and then that summer I broke my ankle mm. working at a warehouse mm-hmm. and then figured out that I don't like physical labor for that very reason mm. mm-hmm. or heavy manual labor. Sure. It's fulfilling, but... Yeah. I got injured in warehouse jobs too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I worked yeah. in warehouse and grocery and stuff. So yeah, I've I've been there. Yep, with the with the forklift injuries. Yeah, not fun. <laughs> no, not fun. Better to work with the brain if possible. If possible. Nothing. Nothing against people who work with their bodies. Um, blue Definitely. collar and all no, that stuff. I love digging. So yeah, cool. That's mm-hmm. very physical, and I know a bunch of people who dig trail and you know do that for a living, and that's amazing. Oh yeah, I'm going to talk to some of those guys. Absolutely. I got, I've got, I've got some of those guys teed up to contact. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure you can give me some ideas later for, definitely for that. So, okay. Let's go back, um, a little bit. Uh, are, are we more or less caught up? The thing is, okay. No, I feel like there's a gap here in the story because, because it, it's not just that you ride well, you ride very well. And there are some things that you can do on bicycles that most people can't. Like I've, like uh, the story that I've told at the top of the show before this recording started. Um, <laughs> Balance beam wheelies. <laughs> Balance beam wheelies. Yeah. So the, so the question is like that kind of skill development, that doesn't come from, that doesn't come from like, oh yeah. And then one day I just decided, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, ride a little bit. At some point you were fanatical. Yes. Okay. In front of my house growing up. Okay. It was, there was a steep curb that would get the front wheel up. Uh-huh. So I'd pedal, get the front wheel up and pedal and try to get one block. You know, gotcha. one cement block, uh-huh. and then one oh. and a half, and then two, and then three. Gotcha. And when I got to three and a half cement blocks, the sidewalk turned. So I'd ride straight off for a while until I decided to figure out how to turn <laughs> in a wheelie. Sure. And then I got a little bit stronger, so I'd come from the other direction that had 20 cement blocks until that corner. <laughs> and so I learned to turn left, and I learned to turn right, and... So wheeling and that was, that was the main thing is wheeling and then jumping. We built, like I said, from little jumps up to full sheets of plywood, Mm -hmm. jumping in the grass and trying one handers and one footers and all the other stuff just wasn't invented yet. You know, we were looking at magazines with pictures. Yeah. We didn't know bar spins or tail whips. They just weren't even, they weren't even around. It was before all that. Yep. Okay, cool. That fills in the gap. Uh, just basically <laughs> obsession as yeah, a child as a child uh-huh. yes by myself uh-huh. lots of one-wheeled antics uh-huh. impressing friends you uh-huh. know <laughs> <laughs> that's really great okay okay so uh then you got uh, we're after college now or during college it's after soccer yep and you get back into bikes and mountain bikes specifically and this is because mountain bikes have dawned and they've they've the equipment has gotten good or started to get good, I should say. Yeah, we were still in the fully rigid era. So we're talking 92, 93 okay. is when I went to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, 98, 99, I'm graduating, yes, six years of college for a four-year degree. <laughs> Best six years of my life. Nice. Um, <laughs> when I got out, all my buddies were over here. I was in Ellensburg, which is east of the mountains. Renton is west of the mountains. Came back, 
they were all riding bikes and we'd go out on the weekends or during the week and go hit it up. Cool. Yeah. And then you worked in the, in the bike industry starting when? Um, so I worked in a bicycle warehouse during college, um, picking boxes, okay. packing boxes, uh, for JNB importers, which is nationwide U S distributor of all kinds of different parts. Sure. And then, uh, so I was able to get a deal on parts. Nice. But it was BMX parts and low rider parts and what, you know, <laughs> yeah, stupid, yeah. stupid stuff that I was into at the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Still doing wheelies and, you know, not really doing much other than a little bit of BMX, but no racing, just kind of dinking around doing wheelies. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then you get into... Graduate college. Yep. Work for JMB again as an inside sales rep. Oh, okay. So that was a 89-day job until they didn't want to pay. Summer uh-huh. was over, and so they cut me. Uh-huh. And I didn't really want to play their game anyway of selling junk parts on some list. And I just that just wasn't me yeah. calling chops and making them say yay or nay on ball bearings. Wasn't my <clears throat> wasn't my end all. And then yeah. I worked as a mechanic. For a few years, mechanic and sales for Bicycles West. Okay. Um, a small company here in the yep. Western Washington. Yep. Just to learn learn what to do, mm-hmm. you know, learn the, the business side of things. Mm-hmm. All during that, I was racing downhill. So transferred from cross-country bikes, fully rigid. Then I got my first mountain bike, which is a Schwinn Moab. Nice. You know, front suspension, crappy fork. That was a cool bike, though. Yeah, it was a cool bike. <laughs> Got a Kona shoot because I thought that was a dirt jumper, um, which <laughs> was close as you could get back then, really. Gotcha. And we jumped those and, you know, built jumps and rode uh, Finn Hill jumps, which okay, Finn Hill so, Bicycle built. Right. So so what? when is this? Uh, we're looking at 2002, probably. I'd say 2002. So that's early um, a d- transition into dirt jumping for mountain bikes. Yeah. I'd say early 2000s. Late, you know, 99, I came out of college. Uh-huh. So 99 to 2002, I started all that hardtail. Yeah. I think I bought my downhill bike first, which was a Santa Cruz Super 8 with a pop can hole hmm. and a, hmm. a Zizix front fork which is a Hannah Brink, like just you had to rebuild it every time you wrote it. <laughs> so you, know, you had to wow. m- mix up some, you know, slick honey and mm-hmm. take it apart and put it back together so it would work again for another run. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's so amazing how far the technology has come. Yeah. Now we can ride for months without even thinking about our forks. Yeah. <laughs> but the as far as the uh, the early days of of using mountain bikes to hit big jumps, that would have been uh, mostly about BMX before. Yeah. When that changed over, that I mean, that was that was the part I liked. You know, mm-hmm. back then it was. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of the guys that were riding back then. You know, John Cowan probably was a big name in sure. that era, mm-hmm. you know, and then then there was, you know, Randy Spangler, who was, you know, riding and doing like the superheroes movies with Gareth Dyer and all that stuff. And that was stuff that we watched and saw those guys and North Shore was going off. Mm-hmm. So we yep. were heading up to Canada because there was crazy bridges in the woods and, you know. <laughs> And that they're all skill building things, you know, just learning how to control the bike and a full suspension bike at that and mm-hmm. riding ladders and teeter totters and Wade Simmons. Yep. Wade Simmons era, New World Disorder, mm-hmm. you know, big time watching all that stuff and just getting excited and going out and trying stupid stuff. Awesome. So you you did go to the North Shore in the early days. Definitely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We travel on the weekends and go up there and hit it up and Wow. Woodlot, there was some cool stuff out there. Yeah, that must have been really exciting. I mean, I mean to to watch that stuff coming coming uh, into reality. Although at the same time, I mean, how other than the equipment, how different was it from what you'd grown up with? Because I mean, it was a lot of the North Shore thing was a lot of like, well, let's just 
assemble crazy stuff in the woods and see what we can do on it. Well, it's very similar to what we were doing because we were building <laughs> rickety jumps of our own. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a lot of that stuff was amazingly built. <laughs> right. Some That's, of it started to age and was amazingly scary to ride. And sure. you still wanted to hit it because you saw it in a movie mm. and you still wanted to, you know, send it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's kind of all the same stuff. Some of that stuff was really wedge wedge style jumps with no real curve to them or huh. you know drops were a big thing so there was yep. a lot of just how high can you drop off to flat <laughs> i mean they called them danzitions for you know dan cowan uh-huh because they were just flat and splat down yeah. you go yeah and or drops to corners and a lot of that ladder stuff was just to get you over a, a swampy area and then it turned into stunts you know it's just gotcha. it was a natural progression that's really cool that we were able to go visit yeah. and be a part of their scene yeah, and take part of that to back to our area and build stunts and, you know. Uh-huh. Wonderful. That's exciting. That's uh, that's a maybe the most exciting era of mountain biking, I think, to yeah. date. I mean, yeah. because, because that, the, the slope style scene today owes so much to that and the uh the big downhill the the um uh red bull and everything yeah i mean a lot of a lot of that is a big merge of dirt jumping bmx tricks with that north shore style big drops you know mm-hmm. wade simmons had the style dan cowan had the big drops along with you know robbie borden and just all those guys were doing these things and then you know I'd say that probably the next step was BMX trick style into the mountain bikes. Gotcha. Which, you know, the name that comes to mind is Darren Bearclaw. Sure. You know, and then trickles on from there to all the younger kids. Mm-hmm. Vanderham. I think, I think or, Vanderham had a different style. Mm-hmm. He was big, big mountain, mm-hmm. you know, not a bunch of tricks, but style, big whips. Right. You know, I remember one. He rode with Simmons a lot. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just from watching videos, I, I never got to ride with those guys. Yeah, um, big step up, I think, is the one thing I remember to nose manual hmm. from him that was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, the stuff that's I don't want to say it's so common today, but it's it happens. People are doing stuff like that. So yeah, people have different styles. You know, I mean, that's the whole thing. Is some people have things that they do that no one else does that that trick or that that same thing that same way yeah at some point you decide you need to open a bike shop <laughs> yeah it, it was that idea not, the not, seed of that idea yeah, always in your mind or well yeah somewhat okay. somewhat okay. you know somewhat was a um opening a bike shop that's why after i had picked boxes at a warehouse i went into inside sales and then as a mechanic, I knew that I kind of wanted to do that. So I was learning everything I could. Sure. But the transition from saying, yeah, that's what I wanted to do to actually doing it wasn't as simple. We were riding downhill, racing downhill. Me and my buddy, Matt Caldwell, he was uh, my partner in crime for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, Including uh, in the first iteration of GHY bikes. Oh yeah, no. To even before we grew up, yeah, we grew up five houses apart. So we were able to, you know, we built all the or we jumped all the jumps together that we were building as kids. Our buddy Steve Johns was the carpenter. You know, he didn't really like jumping all that much, but he is a master carpenter now. Cool. You know, he built some of the fixtures in the shop. Like he's a you know still a buddy to this day. Matt's still a buddy to this day. Yeah. Uh, we were going to all these races and people, Matt went out and well, we started putting pictures and, and videos on a website that the name was so long that I couldn't even say it right now. Downhill <laughs> mountain bike, huck jam, blah, blah, you know, it was everything that you could think of all in one big word. Dot <laughs> com. Um, yeah. Dot com. <laughs> then, uh, I came up with go huck yourself mm-hmm. from hucking off cliffs from Mount or from snowboarding. Okay. And then we got the domain name. So after we got the domain name, people started going and checking out the pictures and it was cool for us. And so he had gone and made shirts at a local mall, got 
couple shirts for us. We wore it to the race, and people were like, "Dude, we love that. You should you should get some. We we'll buy them." Yeah. So we uh, went and got a bunch of shirts printed, and they screwed up our whole order. Oh no. <laughs> So they gave us a deal so that we didn't lose our asses on these ugly shirts that they gave us. <laughs> and then uh, we decided that, hey, we did that in high school. We can print our own shirts. So we bought a printing press. Mm-hmm. Matt uh, helped out with uh, knowing someone who was making these printing presses. He happened to be doing drywall in this lady's house. And she's like, I make a, I'm part of this company called Printa Systems who makes this printing press. Wait a I'll minute. give you a deal. Is this um this is this is silk screen? Yeah, silk screen. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we bought a whole press and put it in our basement and started printing shirts. Cool. The first run of shirts was able to pay for part of the equipment and you know, then nice. so we started printing shirts, started doing it for other people. Mm-hmm. Then uh after that, we're going to the going to the races, selling shirts. And then everybody's like, man, you guys always have the tools and, and the and the parts when we need something fixed. You guys should open a shop. <laughs> so, I mean, I was kind of learning all the trade anyway, and it was part of my mindset. But then me and Matt went together, and we just wanted to do this. We talked for about it for too long. Mm-hmm. And then my wife now, girlfriend at the time, said, open the shop or we're not going to be together anymore. Wow. <laughs> so... A little bit of a catalyst, and she helped with a business plan for the... Wait, was, this was just because you were, what, like like stressing about it or talking about it all the time and not doing anything, that kind of thing? Uh, we were just going to Whistler and partying and hanging out and not oh, doing anything. Oh, I see. Gotcha. I liked riding my bike and partying more than I liked uh, mm-hmm. doing anything else, so mm-hmm. why would I do anything else? Sure. Right, right. So, yeah, she, <laughs> she uh, helped facilitate... <laughs> The decision. Uh, the decision and the <laughs> business plan and Wonderful. helping out with uh, some of just the logistics. And then, yeah. you know, I... She's a very smart lady. Yes. <laughs> I owe a lot to Shannon and <laughs> Matt, you know, and all the people, really. I mean, there's so many people help along the way. Yeah. That it's crazy. Yeah. But before... So, a we- really weird thing that we did right before we opened the shop, before we had really anything to sell, which is the the smartest thing you could do is just do a whole lot of marketing towards something that you don't have yet. So <laughs> we wanted to have a, a event. We were already, you know, playing around and doing little dirt jams and stuff like that. But we had, uh, the idea of having the gathering. Right. I wanted to, I wanted to get. To- <laughs> so before, before we even opened the shop, we had a thing called the gathering. Yep. And, <clears throat> To say that... Wait a minute. Okay. So what year is this? This is 05? 04. 04. We opened the shop in 05. So okay. the first event was January 04. Okay. I believe. I, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what are the seeds of the idea of, of the gathering? So at this point, we had, we had talked about having an event. And we were already having like... I think we were already having movie premieres at that point. Okay. And... I believe we were already having movie premieres. I can't. I can't even remember. <laughs> it was a little hazy in that area, in that era of time. Um, yeah. But so we met up with another guy who was living in the area who's super pumped about downhill and free ride, named Steve Kaminsky. Okay. And he wanted to be part of Go Huck Yourself more than anything. And we were trying to figure out a way to do something with him. Um, we couldn't come to terms with him buying in somehow to go huck yourself because it was me and me and my best friend since 12, sure. 12 years old. Sure. You can't buy into that. So yeah. it was, it was, that was a tough thing for us to say, no, you can't buy into this, but you can help out with this project we're doing. Yeah. Or, or we all came up with the idea at the same time. I don't know how it came about, but I know that all of us were heavily invested and heavily part of the gathering, okay. which so, we thought of having an indoor competition because we had skate barn, which is in was in Renton, and we had the idea of turning a indoor motocross track into a dirt jump track. And these two facilities happen to be within a block of each other, hmm. and within blocks of some hotels. Hmm. So we decided to invite everyone that we could think of, all these people that we've seen in videos and magazines and all the media and all the people 
So we invited everyone and put up some money that we didn't have and the shoestring budget, right? Talk yeah. the facilities into doing it. I mean, the one thing is if you want to do something, just do it because you won't know until you do it. We pulled this off and it, it turned out to be, I think it was about $25,000 Wow, to throw this event. Okay. And I think we made $25,600 or something. <laughs> <laughs> so we barely paid for the first event. But when I said everyone came out, I mean everyone came out. Wow. People flew in from East Coast. I mean, names like Aaron Chase, you know, people like Joe Prizel, who in, in eventually came to Washington, opened an indoor place. Now he's down in Texas, right? Texas? Yep. <clears throat> yeah, As running another place. He helped build a bunch of things, Texplex right? Texplex at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Names like Darren Barraclaw, uh, Cam McCall, Tyler McCall, you know. Wow. Basagosha, like, you, know, you name it, they were here. Nice. Old schoolers, like, well, old schoolers now, but, like, <laughs> back then they were, you know, showing years, but still baller riders. Yeah. And still baller riders to this day, you know, Randy Spangler. Um, cool. Uh, Kurt Voorhees. You know, who's both those guys still shredding today? You know, uh, check team. out check out Kurt Voorhees. Uh, All right, yeah, you got to check out his Instagram because he does fun stuff on a yeah, bike. He, wow, is not what we're about. Yeah, fun stuff on bikes. Um, so we have Carl Buchanan who's up at Transition running their warehouse, who is doing, you know, no foot cans to to nothings. You know, combo tricks that no one's really doing. We had Style Master Scott Matchell from from the area. Yeah. who's still in the industry. You know, we had BMXers who had never ridden a mountain bike before and came out and schooled some mountain bikers. Phil Sunbaum, who turned into, you know, riding for Haro full-time. We had Robbie Wright, who, you know, is still around slaying it. Yeah, Andrew Carpenter, who killed it on a mountain bike, who's usually never, yeah, he still doesn't want to touch a mountain bike, but dude, just shredding. Yeah. You know, these are local guys. So sure. we had a full gamut of people. We had every like cool magazine at the time decline, RIP decline, but you know, uh, Mount Bike Action and all these guys came out and covered it. Wow! So it was it was it was really cool. It, it's definitely a trifecta back then to try to get to to get people. You had to have money to get magazines. You had to have people. Mm. So with no money, how do you get anything going? We just did it cobbled it together yeah we did it yeah and friends and family and and local people that still come Stepping up to me up. today and say man that was awesome i was part sure. of that i was security <laughs> at the back door helping out making sure no one snuck in you know it's just yeah. like everyone just helped out it was amazing it was it was a cool time in mountain biking too because i feel like it was a transition into the events that are today and in no way shape or form was I a catalyst to any of that, but I was a part of it by having these events, you know, Matt, me, Kaminsky, you know, and all the supporting cast made the gathering number one. And the next year we did it again. Wow. We were going to have a third what one. What year? I'm sorry. Uh, 2004 and then 2005. Okay. We held them in January when, when no one else was holding anything cause it was indoor. Yeah. The third year we were funded and the places shut down, uh, the facilities. So that was the end of it. We didn't have a place to hold it. And Wait, to w- clarify, you, you held this event in two venues? Yes. The first night, the first night was uh, the skate barn. No. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter. One okay. night was the skate barn. The next night was the dirt jumps. Okay. So we... S- the dirt jumps at the motor, at uh, Renton Cycle... Renton, RMC, Renton Motorcycle Center. Okay. Bob Lanfears. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Rich guy who had an awesome shop that's no longer. <laughs> but yeah, that that was a really cool time. And, and that helped spread the word of our name to help the shop, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, you don't really forget Go Huck Yourself as a name. <laughs> um, we churched it up a lot by putting GHY bikes on the outside of the building because we wanted to sell all kinds of bikes. We love bikes in general. Uh-huh. Um, some more than others, of course, but you know, that's just how it is. Uh, we love mountain. I like commuter, you know, yeah. I love BMX, dirt jumpers, 
you know, but family bikes and kids bikes, there's no better feeling than selling a kid their first bike. Yeah. Yeah. They're the most stoked or some mountain bikers are pretty stoked too. <laughs> Especially in your shop. Yes. We try. Yeah. And that's something that, that interests me. Um, the place of this shop of GHY of go huck yourself in the mountain biking world. It, it, it seems substantial to me. I've been in a lot of bike shops in my life and this one, this one is unique. Growing up, the bike shop that I went to, yeah. when you walked in, they had a sticker board, you know, that was six feet tall that you could pick a sticker off of. So it didn't matter how much money you could come up with. If you had 50 cents, you could get something. Cool. You know, and that, and that, that was part of it. And they had cases full of parts, you know, you, you had $10, man, I could get a pair of Oakley grips, man, or, or Amy grip, you know, like I could get something. I could walk out of there with something. So I see a lot of, of shops and they don't have anything, you know? Yeah. And so before we open, like I said, we were partying, going up and down from Portland to Whistler. And wow. we stopped by every shop. Yeah. You know, yeah. we went, we went to, you know, the cool shops that people told us about. We went to John Henry's, which was, you know, big shop in Vancouver, you know, check that out. We went to the Cove, you know, and just check those things out. And it was just, it was eye-opening and amazing, you know. We went to River City down in Portland and checked out their wooden bike racks that are handmade. You know, we went to all these different shops and, and you know, Fat Tire Farm. They had a corner of this case that just had Chris King headsets. Wow. I mean, when we opened up, we opened up with ten grand, like hmm. to to have ten Chris King headsets. <laughs> that would have been like half our budget, you know. That's what was the thinking at the time, right? Sure. <laughs> Troy Lee, you had to open up with like five grand or 2,500. I don't know how much it was, but it was like, we'll never be able to afford that opening order, you know? And, and we just, we just bought and sold stuff that we cared about and helped people out. And that grew and we were able to buy cooler stuff. And, you know, now we have a bunch of, you know, a bunch of cool brands and bikes on the floor, Mm -hmm. you know, all mountain bikes, I don't know, Enduro, whatever you want to call it this week, you know, <laughs> four to, you know, five to six inch Aggressive travel bikes. Aggressive trail bikes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Slackheading, bro, you know, but, you know, just, just looking around the room because I'm sitting in GHY right now, looking yeah. around the room, we have such cool brands that support us, you know, and we support them like Transition and DaVinci and Norco and, you know, we have the ability to get a bunch of other brands that are cool as well. Yeah. You know, cool BMX brands that are, that are sweet, you know, that help us out like fit and S M and, and kink and, you know, and we can get all the other brands as well, but it, it's cool to have the stuff that you always wanted. And that's what I kind of think about when I think about what I came from is I travel two miles up some super steep hills on my BMX bike, going back and forth up these hills to get to Fairwood cycle. And that guy went on to run Seattle Bike Supply, which was huge. That Seattle Bike Supply has Redline, Torker, you know, Raleigh, but you know, some cool brands that got absorbed by a bigger company. But that same owner and his kid, you know, I know his kid, and he comes in here who's older than me, but you know. <laughs> you know, that I still, still deal with, you know, another shop down the street, Continental Cycle. That was a shop I went into when I was a kid and that, and that's where I got my GHP. I forgot about them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I was able to, I was able to pick the frame and fork off the wall cause it was the right size for me and that's what they had. So that's what I got, sure. you know, Great Hill production. It, just being able to go to the local shops and, and pick stuff out of the case. That's why we carry so many parts. Mm-hmm. That's why we have stems, you know. Pedals. Pedals. Headsets. Yeah, all those things. And, and we try to pick three brands that we care about uh-huh. for each one of those things. Sure. For example, like Handlebars, you know, Deity, rider-owned, awesome company. Yeah. You know, we, we support them. They support us. Cro-Mag, you know, they have a cool little place that I get to stop by when I'm in Whistler and say what's up to the guys and, and, and grab some cool swag and come back, you know, nice. and they have good quality parts, you know, and, and same with Didi, good quality parts, you know, race face is another one that we just grew up with and they have a wide range of prices that we can carry for handlebars. You know, it's, it's good, you know, it's stuff that we care about, 
wheel building. You know, we were able to cut and and make our own spokes and, and make wheels. Me and Matt sat down and we wrote down a bunch of stuff when we first uh, were thinking about a shop. Uh-huh. And all those things that we wrote down, I would say 99% of the things that we wrote down, like Philwood spoke cutting machine, we need one of those. Yeah. Did we need one of those? No, but we wanted one of those. Like we coveted something like that. And it makes your life so much easier. We got, we got those things, you know, over time. We, we, we made those goals and we, you know, checked them off the list, you know, and it was pretty cool. We, we have a t-shirt printing over, over in the corner mm-hmm. hidden behind everything that yeah. no one even knows. Right. You know, we <laughs> cut our own stickers. We do, we do a lot of stuff in house and that, that's kind of the fun creative stuff that we can do that I think a lot of people don't want to do because there's no money in it. Yeah. And they'd rather just farm stuff out. Sure. And sometimes we don't make stuff in, in the timely fashion, and <laughs> but but it's on our own accord. So that's how Go Hug Yourself runs. <laughs> yeah, and you you seem to have a shop culture of people who uh, love to work with their hands, love to build stuff. Everybody's into crazy cars and and uh, cool bikes. Yeah, um, uh, the crew we have now. I mean, going going through all the different employees that we've had and great guys that have helped make the shop. You know, Jesse was a longtime employee that was manager. Jesse DiBartoli. Yep. He, he, uh, he helped form a lot of the ideas. I would say second generation after Matt had gone back to construction cause he needed, uh, a more stable income, which the bike industry. Yeah. Good luck to have a stable one. Um, right. But, when he went back, we had Jesse and me and him work together hand in hand to make a lot of the things that we have today. Sure. Um, and then, you know, we had people that just cared about bikes and liked bikes and were creative and, and fun and people that rode and, and knew Some bikes. Some excellent and, riders in their own right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I have to say, uh, Dustin. Yep. Crazy fabricator who's made us two frames, you uh-huh. know, two of our prototype frames for dirt jumpers, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out geometries that no one else is really, you know, doing. Everybody's kind of in the same box. And a couple of these are whacked out, but, you know, they're, <laughs> one of them's, it's, it's a big guy bike. If you're yeah. tall, this thing rides awesome. Yep. You know, and no toe overlap when you do bar spins and, and stuff that some of the other bikes just don't do. Sure. Um, you know, Scott Valoria, who kills it on a, a BMX bike, who's very creative mind. You know, now he's making furniture. You know, we've had amazing people come through the shop. And right now we have amazing younger guys that are killing it, like to ride. Very creative with, you know, whether they're building their Toyota 4x4 all up or, you know, messing with their Volkswagens, which te- seems to be a pretty good... If you're into bikes, you're into Volkswagens, you're into, you know, there, yeah. there's this, there's this whole progression of things that people are into that car kinda, culture overlap. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap in what people are into RC cars, dirt sure. bikes, you know, like <laughs> yep. it's just, it's fun stuff. That's what we're into, right? Yeah. Um, things with wheels. Yeah. Things with wheels, <laughs> things that are fun. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to the culture of the shop, um, or, or I guess the impact of, the shop culture on the riding in the area in general. I mean, you can't go for a ride in this area, uh, you know, without talking to someone about GHY. <laughs> Every, I mean, literally every, everybody I meet on the trail, I say, you know, you, you know, GHY, right? Partly because I know they will. And if they don't, I want to make sure they do. Because anybody who walks in here that you see out hitting jumps is going to, is going to fall in love immediately. So, well, thanks for that. I mean, that, that's awesome to hear. Well, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm just saying that's what yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel, I feel biased, but you know, it, it sure is, it sure is funny how many people come through the door and go, wow, it's so much bigger than I thought it was. Mm. And wow, you have so many cool parts. And it's, it's, it is a barrier of getting them here with the internet these days. People want to shop online. People want to do these things. Mm-hmm. And, I don't ever want to lose that experience that I had as a kid walking into a bike shop and smelling the rubber yeah. and seeing the stickers and picking out something that I, you know, I could afford, whether it was a pair of grips, you know, or, sure. and you can still do that. I mean, we have, you know, 40 different grips on the wall of, <laughs> of lock-ons because I love grips, you know, yeah. any of the consumable stuff <laughs> I, I, and tires, you know, we have tons of tires on the wall. It's just, 
it's what it's what I like. So I keep I, ha- I have it. We have BMX. You don't know how many shops have given up BMX because there's no money in BMX. But I I love the parts. You know sure. that 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 portion may not make me as much margin as something else that I could be carrying. But I'm not crunching the beans like that. It's not what that is about. I think in the bike industry, and it shouldn't be about that. And I think some of the bigger companies that are getting eaten up and turning into conglomerates, that's they're 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 having to deal with a, a board of directors and, and people and stockholders. And that's not what that's not what this culture is about. Right. Yeah, you're gonna lose money sometimes, but you're gonna have fun a lot of other times and make money. So And help to perpetuate a a, a really amazing athletic culture. Yeah. I mean yeah. And now, like all the people I've mentioned, have gone on to have amazing careers and have so much fun in the industry and go all over the world and ride their bikes. Yeah, you can't trade that for a dollar. No, you know. Hopefully, they're making money on top of that, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you have your your new, you know, Brandon Seminex who like you know have these like things on lock. It's like old school, you know. Tony Hawk, where it's just a robot doing these tricks. It was amazing, you know. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Just the, the the skills on the bikes has gone up so much with the advent of airbags and and foam pits and video. Being able to watch other people, you can see the body mechanics, and it's it's awesome. And right? yourself. Yeah, yeah, and yourself. What am I doing wrong there? Oh, let me videotape it real quick. Let me GoPro. I mean, that's just a that's just a, a term for videotaping yourself. Let me GoPro myself. Yeah. You know, it's, it's you know, it's a it's like Kleenex and yeah, facial tissue. Uh, powerful brand. Interesting. And you're doing uh, you're doing shop rides yeah. where anyone's invited for the oh, most yeah. part. And yeah, we're usually going to Duthy or Black Diamond. Mm-hmm. You know, trails that have offerings for everyone and we've been doing that for off and on for a year now mm-hmm. you know we we've, we've always gone on rides and had people going but never as organized as this new crew has made it so that you show up to do things you can go ride with everyone and go hit the jump lines and go hit the you know little loops and and learn something you know and those are those rides are typically announced on your facebook page yeah definitely uh we do sunday mornings and then thursday nights Okay. Thursday nights are more of a, a night ride during the winter, but mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to get out there and hit a local spot up the hill, Berm Sled, mm-hmm. which we have a Halloween race at every year and mm-hmm. that's pretty fun. <laughs> I mean, top rippers from around the area come. The Berm Sled Halloween race is the last weekend of October typically. Yeah, somewhere around there. Around you know, there. we just pick a date and go with it and we've been very lucky with some weather and it's very unlucky with some weather. Yeah. You know, cause it, it starts to rain in the Pacific Northwest around that time, but yeah. the trail's usually buff and, and fun to hit and sometimes muddy, but huh. yeah, it's about a minute, 10 minute course. In the show notes, I'll post some berm sled stuff. I'm hoping I can find that, that some of those recent Jill Kintner, uh, shots where she's, she's hitting all the jumps at the bottom. Yeah. It's a, some of yeah, that stuff is really great. It's pretty cool to have some of the top shredders in the area come yeah, I was, and compete. I, I was going to say you com- actually get high you get high level riders to that Halloween berm sled race. Yeah, we're 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 lucky of where we're located. Sure. And the people that live around here and the people who enjoy that style of riding, mm-hmm. it's a downhill pump track with dirt jumps mixed in. Mm-hmm. And everything is rollable or you can jump low, you know, and and the, you know, Jill Kittner and Luke Strobel and, you know, Bryn. And Atkinson, yeah. Jill's husband. Yep. And, you know, some other rippers that are, you know, younger and, but they can all race on the same course mm-hmm. down to like five-year-olds that are cruising down it and may take forever or 50-year-old women who are cruising down it and, and just as excited as the person who won the pro class. Yeah. <laughs> or we call it the faster class, and then we have a fast sure. class, and then we have a slow class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And are you separating by age age group at all? No, not really. Okay. I, I think I think we added a couple last year because we had so many people, but then mm-hmm. or two years ago we added, and then we took away a last. It all depends on who shows up. Sure. But and we typically have about. Uh, 
say 50 plus riders at least. Okay. And and just to clarify, um it's it's a laid back event. There's barbecue and people are are chill. Some people wear costumes because it's around Halloween. Yep. Um we encourage that cuz yes. it's amazing. It's, it's fun. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and and the costumes at, so we just do timed runs all day. Yeah, but to to, uh, to after a certain point. Okay, timed runs all day. And and uh I was going to say it's laid back, but like the timing is very accurate, yes. Or reasonably accurate. As you, accurate as any mountain bike event. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know how many people have said, man, I, I went to this event and I spent $100 and they the, the times are all messed up. You have a a uh, fairly accurate, as as good as any other mountain biking event timing system. Yeah, I you mean. Put some, I, you put some effort into it. It's electronic and all that. Uh, it was electronic at one point, but oh, okay. we do uh, stopwatches and cell phones. Okay. So I yell over the cell phone three two one gotcha. go and i click a stopwatch yeah and when you pass by i click it again yeah mostly and i have a, multiple stopwatches going so we can have multiple riders going and then okay some stuff gets messed up and some stuff doesn't and yeah, it's as yeah, accurate yeah. as my finger and and <laughs> you know what you pay five bucks <laughs> and i said that last year i was like dude if you're if you're bumming about this then you paid five bucks like did you have fun today then shut up do you have a burger <laughs> Do you have a hot dog? Exactly. Do you, it's all you know. Do you have a beer? Yeah, the venue's free and yeah. amazing. By yeah, the way, yeah, yeah, there's hundreds of parking spaces. What was it and, that Jill said about about Bermsled in terms of her skills? Some, she would. Uh, <laughs> she told me she would go up there and practice for her dual slalom and stuff. Jill was living across the valley over Normandy Park, uh-huh. uh, Burien area, where she grew up, and she would use that as as training ground when she was in the area. Bermsled. It, it was a you know, 10 minutes from her house, she was able to go rip it. And nice. it's similar to a lot of the pump track stuff that she excels at. So, yep. and they have fun and you can check out Bryn's Instagram of him scrubbing some stuff. That's berm sled. Oh my God. That's such an amazing clip. Yeah. I, I sit and watch that over and over again. Yeah. I, I think that I can do that, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I'm doing when I'm scrubbing over that same jump, but there's no way I'm doing that. He's laying the bike down the pedal, his pedal, the downside pedal is like a quarter inch off of the surface. It might even be kicking up dirt. It's a Bubba scrub. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so amazing. And the jump he does it on, when you look at it, you go, this is not possible. It's yeah. not physically possible, but he does it. Yeah. So there's a lower section with more jumps and then the upper section is a little bit faster with mm-hmm. with a, a tons of rollers. You know, it's it's berm sled. So it's like a bobsled course. You can do you can do chainless. We did chainless races where we it was mandatory. I'd pop your chain at the top. <laughs> You get one push, which is a super fun. Like, you know, that evens the field. I beat yeah. some people that I have never beat in my life. Bart McDaniels, local legend, legend in the mountain bike industry that a lot of people won't know, but was slaying all the kids around here at downhill for years and years and years. Yeah. Him and uh, Casey Northern were our, a, a team. Okay. So oh, interesting. And Casey's Casey Northern is the Northwest half of the Northwest Cup founder and organizer, yes. uh, who I interviewed in episode one of the MTV Jumper podcast. Yeah, so those guys, you know, ripped and shredded over Luke Strobel and mm-hmm. all those guys growing up, and you know, they were some of the top guys. And I beat him, and I was like, "Yeah, dude, I beat him." <laughs> and he blamed it on the ballast, <laughs> aka my belly. <laughs> Well, my point about all this, I mean, aside from the, you know, the fact that this, it's, it's wonderful, uh, storytelling is that, you know, putting together a race or an event, uh, it doesn't have to be a super big deal. It doesn't have to be, uh, complicated. It's just, it just has to be fun, really. And that's yeah. what, that's what you've done uh, pretty much over and over again over the, over the last, what, 12, it's 13 years now. 13 years. Uh, As a, whoa, let me see. Today is March 30th, so in two days, it's 13 years exactly that we opened the store. Wow. Yeah. Lucky number 13, hopefully. <laughs> right. Knock on wood if you heard that. So, yeah, no, we just had our, uh, we used to have Softies Jump Jams, which is over in the Des Moines area. Um, yearly, I mean, a lot of the guys would come down from Canada. This is South SeaTac Park. Yeah. You know, like... Uh, I believe Justin Wiper would come down and, and a bunch of the guys, you know, from, from up North that would come down and come ride and come hit skate barn and then go have the, the jump jam out at softies. Well, we just had another one and it's been a few years since we had a, a softies jam sure. and, uh, a lot of the BMXers in the local area dug and did the work to make it the way it was, you know, mm-hmm. and 
you know, Anthony Brownrigg, who's ridden with and grew up with Luke Strobel and Neil Strobel up on Tiger Mountain. Like he did a ton of digging, you know, out there to support us. You know, that's the, that's the thing with the mountain bike community. And I think people don't understand that it's a lot of people that put in work to make things happen. Sure. To support us, to make it as big and as good as it is, you know, without even asking for any compensation. Hmm. That's what the mountain bike community is. It seems like people will help each other out and it's a family uh, band of misfits. (laughs) And it's inclusive. That's, that's one of the things that really amazes me about the mountain biking world is, is, you know, when you see someone out on the trail, it's so rare for somebody to, to throw shade or be be negative or um, or try to exclude you. You know, it's like if you're out there trying, they're they're going to accept you. Well, that's what I I, I love about having our rides. Mm-hmm. Is people are like, oh, you don't want to ride with me. I, I can't even. But it's like, no, I don't. I don't Guilty. care. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm like, I don't care. No, I like to ride with anyone. I uh-huh. don't care what your skill level. Because you know what. I learn off of the worst riders just as well as the best riders. They're seeing the trail totally different than you are. Mm. They're hitting stuff that you don't hit because you're not going that speed, but you can find the fun in what they're doing. Interesting. You know, try skidding again. How fun is skidding? But yeah, after I had broken my arm, I came back and it was a, a scaphoid break, which takes forever. I mean, it was 17 weeks out. Last year. Uh, no, this is a while ago. That was a shoulder injury. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Another right, long one. Yeah. Um, but the scaphoid was, uh, I was in a cast for 13 weeks. Jeez. When I came back, I was so skeptical and so scared and, and sure. just skidding was super fun. And I learned that some of the easy, simple stuff that I forgot about was fun. <laughs> so following people that are, are less capable can still be fun. So that's, that's, that's why we have those rides is because it doesn't matter. It's nice. fun no matter what. Mm-hmm. Just to encourage the sport. And yeah. To- I mean, that, that, that's a, that's a huge eye opener and thing that I looked at going to Vancouver, right? We'd go up there and we'd, and we'd go ride the North shore or, you know, Seymour from or, or Woodlot and you'd see, packs of kids on downhill bikes and at that time it was like packs of kids on kona stinkies you know yeah and and it was like whoa there's five kids on bikes that are nicer than mine (laughs) like but they grew the pie Mm. they didn't try to split that pie up more right you know and that and that's what's happening right now i feel Mm. is that the pie is growing there's so many people that are able to ride these amazing bikes you know whether it's a 140 travel you know, or a 160 travel, whatever it is, you know, they're, they're able to ride these bikes that are so highly capable. Yeah. And there's more, there's more, uh, green spaces getting turned into trails and that takes a lot of work. And by supporting, you know, evergreen mountain bike Alliance and stuff like that, where they're doing this, you know, they're doing the work to get all these places open. Sure. And then, you know, you have people that are volunteering all their hours to, to build these trails. You know, we built a trail out at Duthi that's kind of hidden in the back 40, Yeah, you know, and, and that took a, that took a lot of our time and, and manpower and getting a little mini excavator out there and, you know, and there, there's people up there on Tiger Mountain making the same commitment. And people who are just volunteering their time and digging and moving boulders and moving rocks and, and dirt and, yeah, that, that's, the tigers come a long way in the last couple of years. Yeah, and that's, you know, getting the, the land open for us and then having all the volunteers, we're building that pie. We're not trying to split it up. Sure. We're not trying to, you know, oh, don't go over to this shop. Don't go over to that. You know, it's, it's you know, check all the shops out, though. Don't just shop online. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, there's good there's good stuff to be seen. There's a feel to it that you can't get, you know. And I, I'll... I'll guess that most shops are like ours where they'll match online prices. I, I would almost guarantee it. So, right. you know, hit up your it, shop. It's part of survival. And yeah. And the thing is going into a shop and getting to know the mechanics and the, and the owner and all that, especially in, in, in our particular sport, progressive mountain biking, it's crucial like to get, to get better. You need to be connected with a shop. 
and yeah. depending on where you're located, there's right. there's there's not a good shop around. Yeah. But you know, we we try to we try to keep our blog up and stuff like that. And yeah, and there's resources out there. Yeah, if you can actually meet up with people who actually ride. Yeah, and that's I think GHY might be rare in that in that example. I, I, think that, I think there's a lot of people that ride at different shops and such, but there's mm. some that don't. Right. Or they don't ride at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's Yeah, but sad. Yeah, the thing is you can't, you can't get involved with a culture, it, you know, through an online shop. That's no. It's just not going to happen. You can have a, a five-minute conversation with tech support or something, but, but um, uh, compared to, to going out for beers with, with shop owners and bike by, by yeah. geeks oh, after, yeah. <laughs> after the shop closes. Yeah. Or there's we, just we no give, comparison. We, we're not able to sell beer, so we have a little beer cooler next to the work area and you, you can have a free one just stop by <laughs> nice that's awesome okay so there's there's one thing i'd like to cover before we close up and and it's something that i that i typically ask everybody and that just has to do with um how you personally as a skilled advanced writer deal with uh, a challenging feature um let's say you're standing at the top of something that scares the hell out of you what do you do? How's your what's your what's your so uh, I, your process? I have a couple things I do. Okay, and I don't say this to anyone because I think it's my own little mantra. But I always give a quick prayer. I'm not religious at all, so mm-hmm. to hear that, most people are gonna be like bullshit. <laughs> but you know, I do it for other people too that I see jumping. Sure. Right? Okay. Um, Interesting. Each time, I just uh, you know, please let us be safe. Blah blah blah. And then and then if I'm going to hit something that I'm scared of. I'll roll up to it, and over time, you figure out if your speed's correct while jamming on your brakes. Right, you have sure. to you have to kind of know the speed. So you're you've hit everything. Like like I said, I started with a wood block and a two by four, and you <laughs> know, you figure out how far you're going to fly off of how much speed. You know that that stuff, and you roll up to it, and you kind of look, and you stand there. And you go back. If I can't go through that jump in my own head without <laughs> crashing, right. I don't hit it. But if I go over that jump, you know, whether I have my eyes closed or, you know, however you visualize, you know, you think about yourself going over that jump, body position, whatever, just the feel of it. If I can't go through it in my own mind mm-hmm. without crashing, so however you visualize, whether it's your eyes closed or whatever, I sit at the top and I make my run up. I go back. I think about hitting it. If I crash in my mind, I figure out how I'm going to roll out of it. Hmm. And then I go back to the top in my mind and do it again. I visualize it until I can hit it three times in my mind without a crash. Sure. If I have too many crashes in my mind, I won't hit it that day and I'll go beat myself up, you know, be pissed off. Interesting. Until I go back to that place. Yeah. I don't push it until if I don't feel comfortable, I don't hit it. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people should do more of. I, I see a lot of people hitting stuff that I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know. And right. I go back to a time where I was up at Whistler and I went to one of the New World Disorder premieres. And at the end, they had Wade Simmons talking, which was awesome. I was so stoked to see him. But it was right after he had broke his femur on that big uh, ravine jump. Where he, you can hear the bone echoing through the trees, uh, you mean? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just remember his <laughs> his yell. I broke my fucking leg or whatever it was, yep. you know. Like, I remember uh, too. And, uh, but he was on his crutches and he came to the front and he, I think he was in a transition period or something, but he said to a lot of young kids there that learn the basics. A lot of people are hucking right now and they don't know what they're doing. Learn the basics first. And I think there's a lot of people right now that are jumping stuff that they probably shouldn't be. They're not comfortable with it. They haven't gone through it in their minds. So I visualize. I take a quick little prayer, roll up to it. If I feel comfortable, I hit it. But I've hit a thousand jumps before that that are similar. Sure. Or, you know, if it's not the right day and the wind's blowing funny, I don't hit it. You know, so there's a lot of that. Of uh, just having the experience before is one thing visualizing it in my head visualizing crashes which a lot of people don't think about right 
because if you can visualize that then you have the body mechanics and hopefully you can roll out of something and not get hurt. Sure. Find an exit. Instead of finding yourself in that position and never thought about it before. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of how I go through each jump. And I'll go one jump at a time. And I'd rather go long. (laughs) Right. And then be able to scale back. I learned that from Matt Caldwell. (laughs) (laughs) Which he was a a hucker. You know, like full on, like sending it. You know, maybe good skills, but like definitely more of a hucker. Gotcha. Start with some distance and then, and then, yeah, on a dirt jump, you can jump a little further knowing that you're going to hit flat bottom a little bit Mm -hmm. and then peel off before the next jump. Mm -hmm. Not skidding on the jumps, but you know, knowing that you're not going to hit the next jump, looking up towards the next lip before you hit it, stopping, going back, hitting the one that you're comfortable with, and then the next one and stopping. And over time, you just learn and, and you can just flow through a set that. You hit the first one and you talk to someone, oh, pull up on this one, scrub this one, you know, you might have to take a pedal here. Obviously, those aren't the best jumps to hit in the world if you're having to do that kind of stuff. But um, you can take those those little tidbits and, and flow through a line. But it takes a while. Well, yeah. And there, there are virtually unlimited types of jumps, right? I mean, you're going to run into every situation if you ride a lot. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. right? Because yeah. challenge is half the fun at yeah. least. Bucky jumps and and flat jumps and yep. steep landings. Terrible lips. Yeah. Soft jumps. Yeah, all it depends on the time stuff. of the year. It depends on how many people have been digging and yeah. ma- maintenance, all that stuff. Yeah, that's one of the things about uh, about Bermsled, which we've been talking about, is at the bottom there's some real fast things and in succession, then you've got to have your act together to hit them all. Yeah. Someone, well, one person told us before that our trails are like puzzles. <laughs> that you have to figure out the pieces to make it all work. <laughs> yep. And so the true. GHY line at Duthie is much like that, which someone's been uh, revamping it. And I've seen pictures of scrubs and oh, wow. stuff over some trees that we built jumps over. and Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. And then. You know, berm sled's the same way where it's like, man, I just can't hit this jump. And it's like, well, you got to pump that roller before it as you're coming through that corner. Mm. That sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I've told Norm a few times. Yeah. Awesome. Quit pedaling. Okay. Pump. <laughs> right. I want to go back to something you mentioned just a minute ago. Um, how, what would you define define as the basics? If If you were to talk about the basics overall for jumping. Take your clipless pedals off. <laughs> okay, flats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bunny hop. Uh, Do you know how to bunny hop? Right. Do you know how to go slow and bunny hop? Do you know how to wheelie? Do you know how to, you know, do a, a, a foot jam nose, you know, go up on the nose and jam your foot in your fork? <laughs> Just, you know, those are all a the... foot jam fakie. Hey, go up to a curb and, you know, hit your... Go up onto the note. I mean, these are all things that we I learned as a kid that I feel have something to do with jumping. It's bike control, right? And uh, I think the basics is definitely just a bunny hop. It's not called a J-hop. I don't know who the hell came up with J-hop, but just take it out <laughs> of the dictionary. It's not really a term. <laughs> might be Canadian. I'm not sure. So I'm sorry if it is Canadian. I'm, or British. <laughs> yeah. But it's, there's nothing J about it. It's... <laughs> It's a bunny hop. It's just like a bunny moves. Yes. It's a bunny hop. Yep. But you know, learning that, I think, okay. is a huge one. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's just jumping little things up to big things. Sure. And I think with mountain bikes, it's it's uh, very advantageous to have a jump that is a, as long as your bike, at least. Gotcha. There's a lot of short, small jumps that are very bucky meaning that, you know, it's kicking your ass end up and the front goes down and people go over the bars and it's a broken collarbone or it's a, you know, you know, forearm break or, you know, whatever. And I think that proper jump building has a lot to do with it too, to keep people safe. Yeah. Yeah. There should be some standards. And I know that, you know, like Whistler has standards for their jumps. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I think they do. I think they do. Yeah. But I think they change jumps when they have too many people crash on certain jumps. Sure. I'm pretty sure they have a, you know, someone told me that. The, the They're paying attention to those things. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which at our local parks, we need to have too. Yeah. Well, and then there's the issue uh, of crossover between BMX jump building and 26-inch <laughs> jump building. And so I, I've noticed sometimes they don't overlap really very well. No. At least not for uh, beginners, I should it, say. It, it depends on who's building them and what their beliefs are. Okay. There's a lot of steep, steep lips and landings mm-hmm. for BMX. And with no suspension, it works really well. And some of those are the best builders in the world for dirt jumps. Yeah. And around this area, like definitely. Yeah. Some of the most amazing jumps I've seen, you know, like we have great dirt up here. Yeah. So, you know, stuff that they've sifted out every single rock, you know, yeah. stuff that's a spire that's, you know, 15 foot lip, you know, 20 foot gap. I mean, you're booming to the moon. These are hidden jumps that no one sees. Right. They're not even on videos. You know, it's like crazy stuff, <laughs> but nothing I've hit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I think we can wrap it up. Cool. Unless there's something that you feel we've left out. Uh, I think we did it. I think we covered it. Ah, uh, shout out to all the people that have helped over time. Yeah. You know, there's been a ton of people that have helped this shop. They've put in countless hours who, you know, you know, t- worked here, Doug. I think I pretty sure I, I left out Travis Erickson, Krappus mm. yep. rode for us and like has always been there, you know, helps out with any of the jams, you know, brings the burgers and the dogs and, you know, just <laughs> solid, solid guys. You and know, a like solid that. rider, by the way. Oh uh, yeah. He was yeah. doing front flips at one of the gatherings. Oh. I don't think anyone else was doing that. I don't think he pulled it, but it was damn close. <laughs> um, yeah. Damon Snow, who's helped out, you know, during a bunch of stuff and, you know, helped us move. And, and you know, just a ton cool. of guys that have helped help the shop, you know. Yeah. Uh, Lucas Childcraft, you know, he worked here for a long time. He's an amazing writer. Yeah. You know, did whip off one year. I mean, just... So many good guys that are good riders who also just, they would help you in a heartbeat. That's great. Okay. Thank you, AJ Johnson. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thanks once again to AJ for sharing his story. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. You'll find tons of awesome links related to this show in show notes for this episode located at mtbjumper.com slash AJ Johnson. And whether you're using the native iTunes podcast app or Castro or any Apple or Android podcatcher, I like Podcast Republic, show notes are right there on your device. And at the top of those show notes is a link directly to iTunes for the MTB Jumper podcast. Please head over to iTunes, log into your account, and give me some stars, five stars if you enjoyed the show. That's going to make a huge difference in getting distribution for the show so that other people can hear it and so that I can keep bringing you awesome episodes. All right, some more business. Facebook.com slash Podcast. Head over there. I know you've got a Facebook account. Mash on that like button for the page and share any episode that you love. It'll make a huge difference once again in getting the word out. That's what's going to keep this show going is making sure that other people hear it. Share the episode, share the page, uh, comment, tell me what you think. I'd love to hear from you. Speaking of which, my contact page is at mtbjumper.com contact. If you know a mountain biking professional, a great writer, a coach, or other industry leader, shoot me a message via my contact page. I'd love to hear any suggestions, introductions to, to pros or anyone in the industry would be helpful. Thanks so much for that. Uh, let's see. At Instagram, I'm at MTB Jumper Podcast. A little sparse there, but soon to be jacked up with awesome Instagram videos and images. All right, folks. Thanks again for listening. Another fun, informative, insightful episode is coming next week. See you then. In the meantime, take lots of time to ride that bike. Mm-hmm.